welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. Open your Bibles to John chapter 3. We just finished up our 30-day Bible reading plan. Who, who read along in the Bible with us? We were reading um, 30 Days of My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. Um, I have like a year edition of that book at home, but we did a 30-day version of it. And um, tell you what, there was some things in there. There was some, there was some truth bombs. There was some times when you read that stuff and you said, oh man. <laughs> yeah, Sloan says, that stung. And it did. There was times where you would read stuff and it got me thinking about what we're going to talk about today. And today we're calling today's message, Lord and Savior. Look at a neighbor if you have one beside you. you got to stare at me because you don't have a neighbor. And say, Lord and Savior. Say it again. Say, Lord and Savior. And what I want you really to think about is that word and. And. It's not either or. It is a both and. He is your Lord and your Savior. We're going to talk about this a bit today. And just an interesting note for some of you. The word Savior, depending on what translation you're reading, the word Savior is mentioned about 50 times in the Bible. 5-0. Who wants to take a guess how many times the word Lord is mentioned in the Bible? Almost 7,000 times. Almost 7,000 times the word Lord is mentioned in the Bible, while the word Savior is mentioned around 50, depending on your translation. Now, I don't know about you, but to me that says something. It says a whole lot. And here, here is something I want to focus on today. A lot of us seem to focus on the 50-word Savior part, which is huge. And we need to think about that, and we need that in our life. But we don't focus so much on the 7,000-ish Lord part so much. Hmm. Hmm. Are you still sitting on the edge of your seat and opening your ears and opening your eyes to see what God wants to say? <laughs> I'm glad Denise is here. <laughs> All right, open your Bibles to John chapter 3. And we're going to look at a story here. And this is, this is what got me started thinking about this. I was reading Oswald Chambers. And let's go to the scriptures here. John chapter 3, starting in verse 22. Do you have a Bible? Do you have a notebook? Do you have a device to read from? If you have something, hold it in the air for me so I can see what you got. So I can see that you have something. Chad is holding up something green. I don't know what that is. I think it's a piece of cardboard. Construction paper. He's like, oh, this looks like a phone. <laughs> John chapter 3, verse 22 says, Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem, and they went into the Judean countryside, and Jesus spent some time with their baptizing people. Verse 23 says, at this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water there. Hey, that's a really good thing to do. You need water when you're going to baptize people, okay? Uh, there was lots of water there, and people kept coming to him for baptism. Next verse says, this was before John was thrown into prison. Then 25 says, a debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. 
So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everyone's going to him instead of coming to us. It's like a new pizza joint opened up in town and everybody's trying the new pizza instead of the old pizza. And they are upset about it. John's disciples want to know why nobody's coming and getting their pizza anymore. Verse 27 says, John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. 28 says, you yourselves know how plainly I told you. He said, I told you this over and over and over again. He said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way. And hang on a second. Let's pause there for a second. This is a great scripture and a great identifier for you in life. You need to know who you are and you need to know who you are not. John said, I told you plainly, I'm not the Messiah. That's not who I am. Quit trying to put that title on me. Quit thinking that's who I am. That's not who I am. But this is who I am. I'm the one who came to prepare the way for him. So there's some people in here today, by the Spirit of God, you need to know who you are, and you also need to know who you're not. Because when you don't know who you are, all kinds of people will come to you and try and put their expectations, their plans, their purposes on you. And you need to know who God has made you to be and who God has not made you to be. Can I get an amen? Maybe. Okay. So he says, I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. 29 says this. It's the bridegroom who marries the bride. The best man is just there to stand there and smile ear to ear and be happy for him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at the success that Jesus is having. 30 says, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. He must become greater and greater and I've got to become less and less. Look at the person beside you or in front of you or behind you or someone you feel like really needs to hear this and say, less and less. Less and less. He must become greater and greater, and I've got to become less and less. Now, John the Baptist was physically talking about Jesus. John knew that Jesus was the Messiah, and he had a job to do. But this verse applies to us today in our lives. Because in your life, Jesus needs to become greater and greater. And I'll tell you what, you need to become less and less. Not your personality, not your characteristics, not like who God made you to be, but that fleshy part of your person, that fleshy part of yourself that the Bible talks about in Galatians is always fighting against the Spirit. Galatians 5 talks about how there's two parts to you, your spirit and your soul. And your spirit and your soul, the Bible says, are always fighting against each other. The spirit wants to do what's right, and the soul wants to do those things that they know ain't right, but it just feels so good you want to do it anyways. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So what he's talking about is in your life, Jesus needs to become greater and greater. And that part of you that is fighting against the spirit needs to become less and less and less. Now let's look at this. I have a slide here talking about what these words now. The actual word in the, in the Greek for greater means to enlarge. And the word less there means this. Lesson in rank or influence. Meaning that your position needs to become lower and lower under Jesus Christ. 
A lot of us try and live life where, have you ever seen that bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot? Have you seen that? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? It's like this bumper sticker. I saw an old lady driving around with it one time, this bumper sticker. She came in. I was pumping gas at SO during high school, and she came in, and it was like this old Crown Vic, like a really old one, like not the rounded ones, but like the square ones. And she came in on her car. She had the bumper sticker said, Jesus is my co-pilot. Can I tell you something? Jesus ain't your co-pilot. Jesus is the pilot. If There are so many different ways we could go with this. But here you got Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, who is God. And you are a created being walking around on this planet. And you are saying, oh, you know what? I'm going to fly this plane. You sit in this seat, and I'll call on you when I need you. Jesus is not your co-pilot. Now, I'll tell you what. A lot of us live life, and we put Jesus in the co-pilot seat. And we say, hey, you know what? You sit there and be quiet until I ask you something. I'm flying this plane right now. It's true. Can we just be honest for a minute in church? It is true. We get in the plane. Jesus shows up. We've already started the plane. We've already done the pre-flight check. We've walked around the outside. We've checked to make sure there's no rivets falling off. We make sure the turbines are spinning and there's no coins, like those people throwing coins in there for good luck. We make sure the plane is ready to go. And then Jesus shows up. We say, hey, you know what? I've taken care of everything. I've got my plans laid out. I put my chart in. I put my course in where we're flying to. All I need you to do is when I have to go to the bathroom, you can fly the plane then. But Jesus is not your co-pilot. He is your pilot. John the Baptist said he's got to become greater and greater, and I need to become less and less. And that word less means less, lower in rank and influence, meaning that Jesus is above you. Now, the tense of this verse gives the impression that it's a perpetual. You know what perpetual means? Always happening. Always taking place. It's an always God being greater and greater, God being increasing in your life, enlarging in your life. And it's an always process of you becoming less and less and lower under his dominion. Mm. All right. So you say, okay, Jake, interesting. What does that look like in real life? What does that look like in real life? Let's go to Romans chapter 10. And we're going to look at this in Romans 10, 9 and 10. Now, this is the scripture that we use when we pray with people to receive Jesus into their life. We say we have altar calls. You know, we say, hey, you know, if you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life and you know that you need to make a change, why don't you just put up your hand right now and we're going to pray together. And then we pray. And this is the foundation that we use to lead people to Jesus Christ. Now, it says this in verse 9, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, so there's two things that have to take place. You've got to declare that what? <laughs> I'm sorry. That was very weak. <laughs> You've got to declare that Jesus is Lord, and then you got to do something else. You've got to believe in your heart what? It's right there on that screen. I know you can see it. you got to declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Then you will be saved. Now, verse 10 says this. For it's by believing in your heart 
that you're made right with God, which is what we call being righteous. And it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Now let's look at what that word saved means. It's the Greek word sozo, and it means to save, that is to deliver or protect or to heal or preserve or to save or to do well or to be whole or to make whole. So when we come to Jesus and we ask him to come into our life and be our savior, this is what we're asking him to do, to make you whole. Now, I don't know about you, but there's areas in my life where I need Jesus' salvation and wonder-working power to come into my life and make me whole. Anybody else? Anybody else? Areas in your life where you say, you know what, my life is not perfect. I got issues. My brain don't work right. I don't think right. My emotions are all over the place, and I don't know what is wrong with me, but I know that I need somebody to come in my life and help me. And Jesus comes in, and he is making you whole. But here's the thing. We focus on this. This is the 50 word in the Bible part. The Savior. He is our Savior. And he is making us whole. Now let's look at the word Lord. Here it is in the Greek. It's Greek number 2962. And it's kurios. And it means this. Hmm. Supreme in authority. Controller. Or master. Supreme in authority. So I don't know about you, but I don't think you can get higher than supreme in authority. The supreme king, the supreme lord, the supreme ruler. What does that mean? It means there's nobody else above that person. Supreme in authority, the controller, or the master. Here's what happens. I think we focus so much on Jesus being our Savior and think that is the end of it all. But in reality, what he wants to do, see, can we go back to that scripture? Um, just go back to Romans 10.10. 10. Ha ha. There you go. Next one. Okay. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Openly declaring your faith. What do you think that is openly declaring? It's openly declaring that Jesus is Lord. In verse 9, go back to verse 9, Cheryl. In verse 9 it says, For you openly declare that Jesus is Lord. So if you openly declare that Jesus is the supreme authority in your life, you will be made whole. And here's what happens. So many of us just focus on him being our savior, but we don't allow him to be the supreme authority in our life. And it's in that submission to him being the supreme authority in your life that you are made whole. It's in him, it's in you submitting underneath him where he can come along and say, you know what, I want to talk to you about this. I want to look in your life and I want to say, hmm, this isn't just right. This, this isn't the way that I designed you. This isn't the way I desire you to be. So let's tweak this a little bit so that you can be made more whole through the process of me being your supreme authority. And I'll tell you this. I think a lot of people who put up their hand and accept Jesus as their Savior, end up falling away because they don't make him their Lord. All they've done 
is ask Jesus to come into your heart. They've got that insurance so they're not going to hell. But they don't allow him to work in their life. They don't allow him to come and speak to them and say, you need to change this. You need to tweak this. Let me help you here. Let me, let me sand off these edges. Let me like shape this this way. Let me turn this around. Let me do this inside of you so that you are being made whole. So what does this look like? How do you make Jesus the Lord of your life? How do you give Jesus the supreme authority in your life? How do you do that? Matthew chapter 26. You know what? Back in old timey days when you preached and you would tell people to go to a scripture verse, you would know they were there because you'd hear all these pages turning. And then you would hear it stop, and you'd be like, okay, let's start reading this Bible verse now. But now you don't hear that, so you just have to go. I'm just going to assume that you have it. Matthew chapter 26. This is Jesus in the garden on his way to the crucifixion. It says, he went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Now, if you have a Bible or if you have a phone or if you have some green piece of cardboard that you're pretending is your phone, whatever you got, you need to, like, underline this section of verse right here. You need to, like, circle it. You need to, like, think about this. This phrase needs to be etched in your mind, your brain, and your spirit. And he says, God, my Father, if it's possible, please let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. I don't want to do what I want to do. I want to do what you want to do. How do you give God the the lordship of your life? How do you give him supreme authority in your life? This is where you start at. By saying, not my plans, not my thoughts, not my feelings, not what I want to do, but God, what you want to do. This is the hardest thing that Jesus was about to go through ever in life. Just in case you say, you know what, it was Jesus. He was special, and we're not as special as Jesus. Jesus knows that he's about to go to the cross. Jesus knows what is coming down the street for him head on, and he does not want to do it. Right? So he says, not my will, but yours. Verse 40 says this. Then he returned to his disciples, his good old disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he found them asleep, and he said, Peter, Peter, come on, Peter. Peter, who lost the race to John when they ran to the tomb, said, Peter, couldn't you even watch with me for one hour? Verse 41 says this, Then keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I'll tell you what, that is another verse that you need to ponder through your lifetime. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation because why? Your spirit is willing, but your body is weak. You need to pray a lot. Back in the 90s, MC Hammer, who knows who MC Hammer is? I do, and I'm proud of it. And I saw MC Hammer in the airport one time, and we had like a staring contest. I think I was frozen in time, and he's like, what is wrong with this white dude? (laughs) Drew's like, I have no idea who MC Hammer is, and this is not relevant to me. MC Hammer in the 90s had a song 
not just can't touch this. He had another song, and it was about praying, and it said, you got to pray just to make it today. It is true. You know what? Some wannabe gangster rapper from the 90s can talk about things that are accurate, and you do need to pray to make it today. That's why we pray. Pray, pray, pray. You've got to pray just to make it today. You've got to pray. You cannot get through this life the way that God has intended you to without time in his presence, without him speaking to you about your situations. Let me tell you this. Guys over here, let me tell you this. You guys are younger. Some of these people are older. They've lived life. Here's what you need to know. Are you listening? You need Jesus speaking to you in your life. You need to have him talk to you about your situations. You can't live off of these people's revelation. You can't live off of what I know that Jesus said to me. You need to live off what Jesus is saying to you. Which means that you've got to, Tristan, you've got to go and spend time in his presence where it's just you and him alone somewhere off in a closet like he talks about in Matthew chapter 6 where nobody can bother you and he is speaking to you about your life. So, verse 42 says this, then Jesus left him a second time and he prayed. He said, my father, if this cup can't be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Whose will be done? God's will be done. Then verse 43 says this, when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. 44, so he went to pray a third time saying the same thing again. We see Jesus going off three times. He knows what's about to happen. He does not want to do it in the flesh. Jesus does not want to pay the price that's going to happen. He does not want to go through all that pain. The Bible talks about one translation or in one book that he is uh, sweating drops of blood. But he's going to God and he's praying. He's saying, God, if you can take this away from me, please take it. If there's any way we can get through this that I don't have to go through this pain, please do it. But if you can't, May your will be done. This is how you give God lordship in your life. We focus on him being our savior, but it's through him being Lord in your life that you are saved and made whole. So he went a third time off on his own to go pray some more. Matthew chapter 6 is what we call the Lord's Prayer. And this is Jesus at the beginning of his ministry with his disciples. And he's like, pray like this. They came to the disciples, came to him and said, how are we supposed to pray? How are we supposed to pray? What do you want us to do? What do you want us to say? What does it look like? Jesus says, pray like this. Start here. He says, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And verse 10 says, your kingdom come and your will be done. I don't know about you. I don't want to live my life where I just go to church on Sundays and I feel good about it. And I feel good about myself because I've done a righteous thing. Sang some songs, somebody preached, poured coffee for somebody, shook hands at the door, something. And then you go away. I want to do in my life what God wants me to do. I want to be who God wants me to be. I want to look like, not like Jake. I want to look like what God wants me to look like. 
And where does that start and how does that happen? Right here. It's no joke that at the beginning of Jesus teaching them to pray, he says, pray this. God, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guys, I pray this scripture all the time about all kinds of circumstances. I pray it for me. I pray it for our marriage. I pray it for our kids. I pray it for all of you. I pray it for this church. I pray it for the city of Abbotsford. I am constantly saying, God, may your kingdom come and may your will be done in this situation. Not what we want, not what we want it to look like, not how I feel, not what my emotions say. But God, I want you to come right now in this place and have your way. Because you are my Lord. Which means that I am decreasing, I am growing less and less, and you are becoming more and more. And I want you over me, and I want your ways over me, and I want your thoughts over me. And I want to be who you've called me to be more than I want to be myself. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.